Friends, this morning I'd like to invite you to open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 14. Yes, Mark chapter 14. We are coming near to the end of our study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, last week was Thanksgiving Sunday here in Canada, so we turned our attention away from uh, Mark for a week, uh, but we're moving back to it. As you know, previous to Thanksgiving, for a number of weeks, we're in Mark chapter 13, looking at the, the amazing teaching that Jesus lays out for us on the end times, what to expect, the signs of his appearing, the Son of Man coming on the clouds and returning in glory. And that is something that we like to think about, it's daydream about, look forward to, pray about. But today's passage, friends, is rooted not into the future, the blessed hope, but it's rooted in your life today, the here and the now. It's something that we deal with every day. Every day, whether you realize it or not, you make value decisions. Decisions to do this or that based on the value that you put in it. Some things you think are very important and you will do them. Other things you don't think they're as important. In fact, you may think certain things are just a waste of your time or a waste of your money. Well, other people couldn't live without it. For instance, you may be a person, your phone may not be the newest phone on the block. In fact, you may have to flip it open. It's an old phone. So you don't have a data plan. You don't even know what 4G, much less 5G is. You don't use your phone as a computer, as your organizer, as your entertainment center, as everything in your life, as certain members of our, I won't say congregation, I'll say society. As certain people do, you think it may even be a waste. If your phone bill is over $20 a month, that's too much. Where other people, their data plans, they're hefty, they're big, but it's important to them. They've made a value decision. Now, the Apostle Paul in our opening uh, passage this morning, it's from Philippians, not Mark 14. It's from Philippians, but it speaks of value and it gets our minds thinking in the right direction we find that in philippians chapter 3 a familiar passage the apostle paul speaking of his past life as a pharisee he lived his life by what he valued in judaism and he didn't value christ despised him sought to imprison if not put to death christians well, now Paul says life has changed. Why is it changed? Verse 7 of Philippians 3, Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Isn't that amazing? A man who was on a career track, a religious journey, so many things in his life were laid out as he valued them. And now he's thrown them all away. He says he's lost them all and he doesn't grieve the loss because he thinks they belong in the trash compared to knowing Jesus personally and following Jesus. Now get your mind thinking about that. 
Start thinking about that as compared to our own lives. I've called this morning's message. It comes from the the old hymn that we're going to sing in a little while. I call this morning's message, All for Jesus. All for Jesus. That's what Paul said. He was sold out. He says, everything else is a waste. Now, some of you, depending on your household, you were raised not to waste things. Waste not, want not may have been your life's motto. Don't waste anything. Do you remember when you were young and you were told to clean up your plate? Every last thing. Some cultures, believe it or not, leave just a little bit on the plate. Otherwise, the host is compelled to put more on it. You know, if your plate is empty, courtesy says they have to put more on it. But if you leave a bit on there, it shows you're done. You're willing to waste that because you're full. Not in our house. Not in our house. And I'd like to tell you the food was always of the top quality and it would be a shame to waste it. But in our family, in our family, we love to talk about my mother. She became a wonderful cook. She didn't start out that way. <laughs> we have so many stories about that. And even coming to Canada, you know, first time I visited the farm where my wife came from and, and tasted uh, just something simple like peas and carrots from the garden. It was an eye-opener. I didn't understand that cooked carrots could actually be bright orange, you know, because from the can, they were sort of a grayish orange, you know, and, and you know, all of our vegetables were from a can, believe it or not. Black-eyed peas and so forth. That might have played part of it, but it was difficult to get us kids to eat all of our vegetables. I remember one time, it's burned in my memory, we, uh, we were living in a house on Delaware Avenue, and we were on Delaware, and uh, my brother and I, we were sitting there pushing our vegetables around on our plate. I think they were soggy gray carrots, and we did not want to eat those things. Oh. And my mom says, you have to eat those. We can't afford to waste them. You have to eat them. Well, there was just no, no convincing us. So finally, my dad came back to the table, took out his watch from his pocket, didn't wear a wristwatch, had a pocket watch. And he set it on the table and he pointed to the hands. He says, when this big hand gets to this number, I'm going to come back and check your plates. And if those plates aren't clean, he says, oh, you don't want to, you know, <laughs> it was threatening violence. I'll just be right up front. You know, <laughs> and so we were under, we were under no, no illusions. That's, that's not what was coming. And did we eat them? No, we sat there. This was principle. We want to waste these vegetables. So we sat there with our arms crossed. <laughs> that second hand, as it swung up to the last minute, our determination broke. <laughs> we, my dad came in and our mouths were full like chipmunks, but those carrots were gone, you know. They were gone. We didn't waste them. Funny things like that when we think of waste. But friends, <clears throat> if you've lived as a believer long enough, you may have had experience, especially if you come from a family where you may be the only believer and other people in the family, they love you, but this Jesus thing, they just don't understand it. They just don't get it. And you make decisions in your life and you do things and you go places for Jesus that they just don't understand. They just shake their head. In fact, they may think you're wasting your time, if not wasting your life following Jesus. This is what we begin to see in this passage today and see how it can be rooted in your here and now. You, 
stand out. If you're following Jesus and you live your life for him, in our society today, you're strange. You're weird. You're different. And people will criticize you for that. Well, let's begin Mark chapter 14. Now, there's going to be just a little bit. I want to explain right up front. Mark chapter 14 begins looking at the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. They were on the ruling council that eventually puts Jesus on trial and executes him. But these people, they were the leaders of Judaism. And many people show up in the story today, but it's all around Jesus. And we see how they relate to Jesus. The Jewish leaders, they're connected to Jesus by their hatred and fear of him. And isn't our hatred so often rooted in fear? Fear of the other, fear of the different ones. Look at the first two verses of Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, for the people may riot. They hated Jesus, but he was still popular with the crowds. I just want to pause briefly because it says this has Mark recording this conversation of the chief priest. The Sanhedrin takes place two days before the Passover. But it's followed by an event, a meal, a celebratory meal that the, the, the Gospel of John tells us takes place six days before the Passover. And some people link the two and say this is an obvious contradiction. It's a conflict. It's an error in your Bibles. But friends, remember, as we've said all along, the Gospel of Mark is not chronological. It's basically chronological in that Jesus... Jesus' baptism, beginning of ministry, precedes the crucifixion, resurrection, the end of ministry. But in between, it was organized geographically. It begins in Judea, immediately goes up to Galilee, and stays there for Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And then, remember, as we saw, Jesus begins a journey down to Jerusalem. And all of those events that took place between the two items were put there. And now that he's down in Jerusalem, all the events of his Jerusalem ministries for over three years are put in these chapters. They're not necessarily chronological. In fact, this meeting of the Sanhedrin took place after the meal that follows it in the Gospel of Mark. We know that from the Gospel of John, which is much more chronological rather than geographical. Just having said that, we see these men want to put Jesus to death. They have become his enemies since Mark chapter 2 when they saw him as a Sabbath breaker, as leading people astray, as a false teacher. But now it's hitting close to home because their very positions of power are being threatened. In fact, in John chapter 11, the parallel passage to this very meeting, in John chapter 11, we see the discussion they had there. It says in verse 46 of John 11, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That's the resurrection of Lazarus. This is what precipitated the meeting. Verse 47, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come. And take away both our place and our nation. 
Then one of them named Caiaphas, remember the high priest who eventually puts Jesus to, uh, hands Jesus over to the Romans to be put to death after a trial. Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. They were afraid Jesus was going to lead a popular revolt, an uprising. The Romans would step in and the country would be destroyed. That did happen, as Jesus prophesied, but not till about 70 AD. And he didn't lead that revolt. But Caiaphas says, no, it's not going to happen. It's better that one man die. Put Jesus to death now. Save everyone. It goes on to re, uh, reveal to us there in John that Caiaphas was speaking prophetically that Jesus did die for the nation, but he died for our sins to save us. So there we see they were afraid that they were going to be overthrown from their positions and so forth. They were planning that, but how to do it? You can't catch him publicly when he's teaching in the temple because he's so popular. The people will riot and then the Romans come in. We're back to square one. We need to do it on the sly, secretly, how to do it. Well, we know how it was done. Judas betrays Jesus. But before we see that betrayal in the gospel of Mark, the Holy Spirit, as Mark composed the gospel based likely on Peter's teaching and preaching, Mark included an event that was in contrast with Judas' betrayal, and that was the adoration of Mary, as we see. That takes us to our next character, Mary of Bethany. And where Jesus had been hated by the Sanhedrin, he was adored by Mary. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. That family, that their house was always open to Jesus they loved him so. They had history with Jesus. And she shows up in this passage, though in Mark and Matthew, she's not even named. It's John that tells us this was Mary, Lazarus, and Martha's sister that does this act of love, worship, and adoration. So in contrast to this scheming, now we see Jesus being worshipped in Mark 14, verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar, of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. He's anointed with precious perfume. In fact, we've talked about it in the past here. First, it's in an alabaster container. Alabaster is stone that small jars, vials, vases were carved from in ancient times. This seems to have been the type of container where it was so precious that no evaporation would take place that it was actually sealed. And to open it, you had to break the container. Well, that also tells you you have to use it all. You're not just going to use a pinch here or there. Well, this is an amazing thing with a strange name to us, nard or spike nard. You look at, you look at the uh, mossop weed, it has a, a number of names. But the interesting thing about this precious plant and the essential oil that comes from it, it's only found in one place. In the foothills of the Himalayas, on the other side of India, on the border of China. That's how far this had traveled. And it was precious. 
In the Roman world, it was used for only the finest perfumes, or believe it or not, for the uber-rich, the super-rich. Today, they would have those giant yachts and so forth. They used it, a few drops, to flavor their wine. That's rich. You could waste this precious commodity on wine and drink it, spending it on themselves. And Mary somehow had this treasure. She had this amazing treasure, and she broke it, and she spent it all on Jesus, all for him. She poured it on his head and anointed him. It was a precious thing she did for him. Now, it's interesting, the parallel passage where John names her in John chapter 12. Let's look at that briefly. The first three verses of John 12 Remember those differences? This meal takes place, not the two days of the scheming Pharisees, but six days, it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's not mentioned. The resurrection of Lazarus isn't recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And this meal that Mark includes, this is Lazarus' welcome home from the grave meal. This is a feast to honor Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. Simon the leper, a healed leper, was hosting that. We know that from Mark and Matthew. But this tells us who did the act of devotion. It says in verse 2, Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. That shouldn't surprise us. Whenever there's work to be done, Sister Martha is there with her sleeves rolled up. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, that's recorded because just shortly before this, he wasn't reclining anywhere but in the grave, wrapped in grave clothes. Verse 3, Then Mary, the third sibling, took about a pint of pure nard. That amount is extraordinarily expensive. In today's it's a year's wages for that much. So today, if the average wage, I'm not going to get into, you know, it's, let's just pick a number about in the ballpark, about $50,000 to $80,000, a brand new tricked out truck or something. It's a lot of money. She had it. And why would she have that? Very likely that was the family treasure. That likely would have been used as her dowry, her bride price. If she was ever to be married, that would have gone to her husband's family. But she uses it for Jesus in an extravagant act of thanks and worship for the one who had raised her brother from the dead. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You'll notice some differences there. Mark and Matthew mention that she poured the perfume on Jesus' head. She anointed him. But it also says she anointed his feet in the Gospel of John. And why would John record that? It's obviously she did both. Matthew and Mark think the first is the appropriate one to record, but John says she knelt at his foot as he reclined at the table like a servant and she anointed his feet. That's because in John, this is the third time we encounter Mary and each time she sits at Jesus' feet. You remember the first time? Martha was working in the kitchen. Where was Mary? She was sitting at Jesus' feet listening and learning drinking in what he had to teach. The next time we see her, she's in grief and full of questions. Jesus comes, but it's too late. Lazarus has died. He could have healed him, but he didn't come. 
And so she comes in grief, throws herself at his feet and says, Lord, why didn't you come? You could have healed him. And now the third time he didn't heal him, he raised him. And now she is at his feet in worship and she anoints his feet with the most precious of perfumes. You see how John, it's so appropriate in the gospel of John for her to do that. First learner, questioning, now worshiping Jesus at Jesus' feet. It's an act of such beautiful devotion. But that treasure used on the feet of this wandering rabbi from Galilee, what a waste. Sounds terrible. But many people would look at that act and say, you've wasted it. Wasted it. On Jesus? Mary had her critics. The next group we see this morning are the critics of Mary. Jesus was hated. Jesus was adored. And now, something interesting in this passage, Jesus is devalued. Remember I said, this is about value choices, profit and loss, what's really worth it. Mary did something as moved by the Spirit to anoint Jesus. But others thought it was a waste. Back to Mark, Mark chapter 14, verses 4 and 5. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could, could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. No good deed goes unpunished, apparently, in those days as well. Mary does this act of extravagant worship for Jesus. And all she hears is grumbling, which breaks out in harsh criticism of her. Perhaps you've encountered similar opposition somewhere in your life. Perhaps you were at that point in life where it was time to go to work or go to school to get the training for your vocation, for your career, and you wanted to go to Bible school, even if just for a year. And you may have heard the grumbling. That's a waste of your time. That's a waste of money. Don't do it. I have a good friend that I've mentioned a number of times, and, and he went to Bible school not for a year. He got, his, he got his Bible school degree, but he was the only believer except for one sister in his whole family and all of his successful brothers and his hardworking mom and dad. They thought he was crazy. You're wasting your time following this Jesus person. A waste of time. And what did he do with that? Did he become a pastor? Well, no, he went back and got a job like a good man and lived his life for year after year. And it seemed they were proven right. Maybe that was a waste of time. But today, 40 years later, he's pastoring his church. He still works his job to an extent, but he's using those things. It wasn't wasted. In God's economy, it wasn't wasted at all. Mary's critics. Well, it says a number of people did it, but one person led the criticism. And we have to jump back to John. John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6, reveal who that critic was. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? 
it was worth a year's wages. And then John includes this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. And he used to help himself to what was put into it. Well, that's revealing. Judas didn't want the money to be wasted on Jesus. He wanted it where he could get his hands on it. He wanted that perfume to be turned into cold, hard cash and put into his keeping that he could help himself. If it's for others, it's a waste. He said the poor, but he was really thinking about himself. And if we're honest, that's how we measure worth sometimes. What's in it for me? What is in it for me? So Judas himself criticizes Mary, the one who would betray Jesus. And he should have known better. In both Mark and the other Gospels, the disciples had had this question more than once. They had lost everything. Their families were telling them they're wasting their time following Jesus. They had left home. They had left families. They had left their good paying jobs to follow Jesus. And one time Peter was bold enough to mention it. We see it in a number of places. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 28, Peter said to him, to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, it's not wasted. God sees it. He loves it when you give things up for him, when you give things over to Jesus, all for Jesus. And he blesses you. In this world, you'll have trouble, Jesus said. There'll be those critics that come along with it. There will be persecutions. There will be the Judases talking critically and harshly criticizing you, he said. But you put a smile on your Father's face in heaven. Jesus himself then steps in. The criticism is ringing down on Mary and Jesus does something beautiful. He intercedes. When we pray together on Sunday morning, we are interceding. We are speaking on behalf of others to our Father. Let me take this to God and intercede on your behalf. The Bible tells us in a number of places that Jesus is doing that today for you. Satan, one of his names is the accuser. And he loves to accuse the saints. And he has plenty of reason to. There's not a day goes by that you don't stumble, you don't trip, your halo doesn't slip in some way or another. And Satan, the accuser, would be quick to point that out. But the Bible says Jesus is next to his Father to intercede on your behalf. And we know that heart because we see it revealed right here as Jesus intercedes for Mary. Continuing in Mark 14, picking up again in verse 6, Jesus steps in. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her, like today. Jesus stepped up for her and interceded on her behalf. He said, she has blessed me. She has anointed me. She didn't put it off. Because, you know, sometimes you think, well, I'll live my life for myself today. And one day, maybe in retirement, I might go on a short-term mission trip or something. I'll leave all that service to God later. <laughs> but later may never come. We had the wonderful chance together with family this week, my wife and I. But it was on the sad occasion of, of Cousin Chris's sudden death and funeral. He'd put in his retirement papers. He'd done everything right. He was financially set. He had a, a shed full of classic cars he was restoring. He, 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 he just had so many things. And at 51 years old, God called him home. Don't put off serving Jesus. Jesus said, She's anointing me for my burial. Think of the women on Easter morning. What were they doing? They were going to anoint Jesus following his burial. And they never got to do it. The only one who did it was Mary. She didn't leave it. She didn't put it off. She did it when the Spirit directed. Let that be a lesson to us. For Jesus today, friends, he intercedes on our behalf. A powerful passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we read, Who will bring any charge? Who's going to accuse you in serving God? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. It goes on height, depth, principalities, no one. Jesus interceded for Mary and he loves you and he intercedes on your behalf today. As you stumble in your walk and you go to God for forgiveness and ask it in Jesus' name, Jesus intercedes and you find His grace fresh each day. Fresh each day. Something that Jesus mentions in this passage as well as He, as he justifies Mary, He says, you'll always have the poor here to do good to them. And something Scripture reveals to us is that when we do that, we still are serving Jesus. A couple passages, very briefly, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 17, we're reminded, one who's gracious to a man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. In Matthew 10, 42, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. She did what she could. She had Jesus right there. We don't. 
But when we do what we can, we love and serve Him by loving and serving those around us. Whatever you do for the least of these, my brethren, you do it for me, Jesus says. We can feed Him. We can clothe Him. We can care for Him by doing these acts of love for others. Well, we've seen Jesus devalued, adored, hated. But all of this, this passage is bookended and contrasted with going back to the beginning, the Jesus problem. What to do with Jesus? They were afraid of Him. They wanted to get rid of Him secretly. And this event leads them right to it. We finished this morning by looking at the character of Judas Iscariot. Jesus betrayed. The Gospel of Mark contrasts it and brings it directly from the adoration, the extravagant and Judas-eyed wasteful act of Mary. We see in verses 10 and 11 of Mark 14, then, after that, after that act, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And we know that comes after the Last Supper as Judas leaves early. And the scripture says, where did the disciples think Judas was going? To help the poor. Remember? Judas says, hey, we got to feed the poor. And they thought he was going to help the poor as he went out to tell them, now's the time to arrest him. He's going to the garden. We'll see that ahead. That was Judas. Didn't want to waste it on Jesus. Throughout that ministry, whatever happened, he was disappointed with Jesus. It seemed that even as a follower, he was in it for what he could get. And Jesus reveals that when he says something interesting. In John chapter 17, Jesus in the garden, John records part of that prayer. Jesus would go and pray and come back. John records a great high priestly prayer of Jesus. I read it from the New American Standard Bible because the translation brings it out very, uh, very uh, literally. In John 17, Jesus praying to his father in the garden says, While I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name which thou hast given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus says, Father, I kept them safe. I was the good shepherd. I didn't lose one. Referring to Judas, he said, except the son of perdition. Now, the New International Version says the one who is doomed to destruction. But that phrase, son of perdition, it's fascinating because that's the phrase Judas uses. The word here, perdition, is what Judas says when this has been wasted. Why did you waste the perfume? To waste it is to lose it, to ruin it, to throw it away. It's like burning up money. And Jesus says here that Judas is the son of perdition. That same word, the son of waste. He said he's the one that wasted in spending his life on himself and centering his life on himself, Jesus passes judgment. Friends, that is a wasted life. Wasted. 
I mentioned before a, a woman, she was, our, she was our junior high Bible study teacher. She was hip and connected, young person. Well, actually, she was, by that time, she was pushing 80, but she could connect to young people. Her name was Isabel. <laughs> and Isabel Barbin, she was a mentor to us. And she had so many little sayings, and she would paint paintings and put her sayings on there to help us remember. And she, one of the quotes that she loved to quote was that old one, all other things in life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Words to live by sums up this biblical truth about waste. When it's spent on us, it's wasted. It's going to be gone. It'll burn up. It'll be buried. It'll be lost. But when it's done in love for Jesus, all for Him, it lasts for eternity. What a blessing. Let's let God speak to us and reflect on our own lives in prayer. I'll close our time in prayer, but as I do that, I'll invite the worship team to follow with our closing song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we see Jesus near the end of His life, Lord, the shadow of the cross is already laying across Him. This beautiful act of worship, Father, He receives it as preparation for His burial. And yet, Lord, in all of this, we see people's hearts revealed. We see Mary's heart, heart of love, heart of worship for Jesus, who had raised her brother from the dead, who spoke the words of eternal life. He was her master. Her best was not enough for Jesus. She gave it all. We see his opponents and we see critics who thought only of themselves and how things affected them. And Lord, they come to nothing but loss. As Jesus said, it's perdition, it's ruin, it's waste. It's a waste to live only for self. Lord, help us to reflect who we're more like today. Lord, give us a heart like Mary who says nothing's Nothing's too much for Jesus. Whatever the Master desires, I want it all for Jesus. May this be our heartbeat today. We ask it in His name. Amen.